0: Today we are going to be wrapping up the story of Joseph that we have been reading for the past four weeks. And again, our reading is a little bit lengthy, but it uh, brings us to the conclusion of the story this morning. So sort of settle in to hear the conclusion of our story, starting in Genesis chapter 44. Then Joseph commanded the steward of his house, Fill these men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money on the top of his sack. And then put my cup, the silver cup, in the top of the sack of the youngest, Benjamin, with his money for the grain. And so the steward did as Joseph told him. As soon as the morning was light, the men were sent away with their donkeys. When they had gone only a short distance from the city, Joseph said to his steward, Now go and follow these men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you returned evil for good? Why have you stolen my silver cup? is, Is it not from this that my Lord drinks? Does he not indeed use it for divination? You have done great wrong in doing this. When the steward overtook the brothers, he repeated these words to them. They said to him, Why does my Lord speak such words as these? Far be it from your servants that they should do such a thing. Look! The money that we found at the top of our sacks we brought back to you last time from the land of Canaan. Why would we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? Should it be found with any one of your servants, let him die. Moreover, the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. He said, even so, in accordance with your words, let it be. He with whom it is found shall become my slave, but the rest of you, you shall go free. Then each brother quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. He searched, beginning with the eldest, ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this they tore their clothes. Then each one loaded his donkey, and they returned to the city. Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house while he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Do you not know that one such as I can practice divination? And Judah said, What can we say to my Lord? What can we speak? How can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. Here we are then, my Lord's slaves, both we and also the one in whose possession the cup has been found. But Joseph said, Far be it from me that I should do so. Only the one whose possession the cup was found in shall be my slave. But as for you, go up, go in peace to your father. But then Judah stepped up to him and said, O my Lord, let your servant please speak a word to your ear, and do not be angry at your servant, for you are like the Pharaoh himself. My Lord asks his servant, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to you, We have a a father, an old man, and a younger brother, a child of his old age. His brother is dead, so he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him very much. So then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me so that I might set my eyes on him. And we said to you, my lord, the boy cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall see my face no more. When we went back to your servant, my father... We told him the words that you had said. And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said to him, We cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother goes with us will we go, for we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. So your servant said to my father, You know that my wife bore me two sons, One has left me, and I said, surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me and harm him, therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, the boy not with us, his gray hair shall go down in sorrow to Sheol. His life is bound up in the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die, and your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father. For your servant became surety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I will bear the blame in the sight of my father all my life. Now therefore, please let your servant remain as a slave to my lord in place of the boy Benjamin, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the suffering that would come upon my father." Then Joseph could not control himself any longer before all those who stood by him. And he cried out, send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. It is my father you speak of. Is he still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, so dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, "'Come closer to me,' and they came closer. He said, "'I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt, "'and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, "'for God has sent before you me before you to preserve life. "'For the famine has been in the land for these two years,' And there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, a lord of all his house, a ruler over the land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father, say to him. Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all of Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me. You and your children and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, all that you have, I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry, bring him down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. While Benjamin wept upon his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after this, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers have come, Pharaoh and his servants were very pleased. Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this: Load your animals and go back to the land of Canaan. Take your father and your household and come to me, so that I might give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you may enjoy the fat of this land. You are further charged to say this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. Give no thought to your possessions, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. Joseph gave them wagons according to the instruction of Pharaoh. He gave them provisions for the journey, and to each one of them he gave a set of garments. But to Benjamin he gave three hundred pieces of silver and five sets of garments. To his brother he sent the following ten donkeys loaded with good things from Egypt, ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. Then he sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, Now don't go quarreling on the way. So they went up out of Egypt, and they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And they told him, Joseph is alive, he is even ruler over the whole land of Egypt. And Jacob was stunned, he could not believe them. But when they told him the words of Joseph that he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob was revived. Israel said, Enough. My son Joseph is alive. I must go and see him before I die. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Um, This week, as I was preparing for my sermon, I came upon two rather interesting uh, websites, The first is this incredibly handy little tool, it's called thistothat.com, and it's a website which gives you direction on what kind of adhesive you should use. So you type in that you would like to stick together wood and glass, and the website pops out a list of all the best adhesives to use sticking wood to glass. Now, the website was fascinating, and I spent far too long learning about all sorts of different household adhesives, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the story of Joseph. I just thought it was a cool website and wanted to tell you all about thistothat.com. But the second website I found this week has everything to do with Joseph. It's called the Forgiveness Project, and it's a website that was started by a journalist back in 2004. And she started after reviewing her life's work of reporting and thinking back on the interesting stories of how all sorts of different people responded to situations of great tragedy out of wells of compassion and forgiveness rather than from a place of vengeance or anger. Now this website came about, like I said, in 2004, right at the start of the war in Iraq. And she was really seeking a place where people could begin telling these stories of how they reacted with forgiveness and what that meant for them. It's been going strong for 12 years now, and if you go to the site, it is filled with thousands of stories that people have submitted. Stories about how they have turned situations of tremendous personal pain into stories of forgiveness and reconciliation and peace. It's a complete rabbit hole on the Internet. If you go there, you will spend hours reading these stories and not even realizing how much time is passing. The stories come from all over the world. Um, I read one from an elderly man in Minnesota. He wrote about his experience when he was a young boy in the 1950s. He is Native American. When he was 8 years old, like happened all over our country, here in Michigan as well, He was forcibly taken from his Native American family and moved into a boarding school, which was run by the Catholic Church. These boarding schools were set up all over the place to try to civilize Native children and teach them to be good American, which is to say white citizens. These schools were pretty horrific if you've ever read about them. Abuse and neglect of these children was the rule, not the exception, Thousands of families all over our country were destroyed when their children were taken from them. Native languages and cultures have been completely lost because these children were not allowed to speak their native languages. But this man, he wrote about this story of his childhood, how he ran away from the school when he was a teenager, went and found his grandparents and lived with them. He wrote about how, as a young adult, he decided to pursue higher education. He got his PhD from McAllister, and he used his education to go back to his community to build up and promote and protect the way of life that he had learned as a young boy in the Ojibwa community. He didn't lash out at anger at the Catholic Church or at the US government, he didn't hold long term resentment or grudge but instead his story was one of a person who sought to forgive and then counteract what he had experienced in his own community. Another man from Denmark wrote a bit about a story that's more at a a family level. He wrote about a painful divorce that he and his wife went through, and it could have been sort of the story of so many people who go through an experience of divorce. He talked about his feelings of rage and anger at the man that his wife ended up marrying, But then he talked about one Thanksgiving day, a Thanksgiving where he knew that night he was going to have to sit down and share dinner with his ex-wife and their children and her new husband. And so for some reason, he thought to himself, well, maybe he should clear the air. So he invited this man out for a cup of coffee. And the two men, over coffee that day, over dinner that night, and the weeks ahead, ended up becoming great friends. They discovered they really enjoyed each other. Over the course of their life, both of these men learned to act as fathers to the children in the family. And it turns out toward the end of his life, when this new husband ended up getting cancer, the ex-husband was the person sitting at his bedside with him as he died, saying goodbye to someone who had become his friend and his family member, someone who originally he felt nothing but hatred for. This site is just full of stories like this. There are stories from parents whose kids were killed in the Sandy Hook Elementary shooting. There are stories from people who were prisoners of war in Korea and in Vietnam. There are stories from people who experienced the Second World War or the most recent wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. There are stories of people who are civilians caught in the chaos that war can bring, and there are stories about individuals whose family lives have just not gone the way they expected to. There's this huge range of the stories that are there, but the common thread to them is forgiveness, this idea that someone decided to live out of compassion and grace rather than anger and vengeance. And what I was struck by as I read these stories was the quality of life that you could hear behind the words. Every story started with something that just sort of left me with a pit in my stomach, just some horrible experience of violence or loss or trauma, something that any reasonable person would read and think, yeah, your life could be easily derailed by that circumstance. But again and again in these stories, people call upon forgiveness and grace And it turns out that the people who are most healed by that forgiveness are the victims themselves. That native man that I spoke about, he ended up finding his life's work and his passion, rebuilding his own native community, born out of the forgiveness he practiced. And that ex-husband in Denmark found not only a friend, but he created this safe space for an unexpected large and new family to come about. Again and again in these stories, forgiveness seemed to have the ability to heal not only the person who is carrying the wounds, but also the community around them. It sort of seems to radiate outward. They're just tremendously hopeful stories. And I think that these stories about the power of forgiveness that to heal both individuals and their community, <clears throat> this is the real power of the Joseph story we've been reading all of the family drama, all of the false accusations, the dream interpretations, being sent to prison and sold into slavery, even his promotion to becoming prince of Egypt, all of these up and down and twists and turns in this story seem to exist, at least in my reading of this story, to point us toward forgiveness. And the importance of forgiveness is the heart of this story. And to realize how important Joseph's act of forgiving his brothers actually is, we need to remember something about this family, about Jacob and his 12 sons. Now, Jacob, it's a little confusing in the Bible. He sometimes goes by another name. You might know Jacob as Israel. God gave him a new name. And God promised Israel that he would become the father of a great nation, that his descendants would outnumber the grains of sand on the beach. And we know from history that this did, in fact, happen. Those 12 sons of Jacob, Israel, they become the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, the people who found this great nation. Their children, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, they become the nation of Israel, the chosen people of God. They bring about leaders that we know so well, like King David and King Solomon And these people, they become the ancient ancestors of Jesus and, to some degree, the ancient ancestors of what modern Jews would consider themselves to be part of, the people of God, the nation of Israel throughout time. But at this point, when the story of Joseph takes place, none of this has happened yet. It's just Jacob and his 12 sons. And so think about the tremendous power that Joseph really has in this moment. I mean, what would have happened If he had acted out of vengeance or anger and he had thrown his 11 brothers into prison or perhaps sold them into slavery or maybe had them killed. I mean, he was a prince of Egypt. He could have done anything to them. What if he had chosen to return them evil for evil? Or maybe not even evil for evil so much as what if he had just chosen to sort of punish their crime with an appropriate punishment? All right, you sold me into slavery. Time to sell you back into slavery. I mean, it makes me wonder, would the people of God ever have come about? Would the nation of Israel have existed? And on one hand, it's really easy to sort of say, well, yes, of course it would have. God is is so big. God is so powerful. Of course, all things would have come about in some way or another. But if you think about it, this decision that Joseph makes to forgive his brothers, this is really the crux. Of the nation of Israel. This is the beginning of the people of God. They're in the hand of Joseph, and his decision to forgive them sets them on this path to becoming more numerous than the stars in the sky. And we know the ending of that story, so I mean, the suspense isn't really there for us, but at the same time, Joseph's act of forgiveness is a gift which echoes throughout the halls of the people of God. Our entire Old Testament would have been massively different had Joseph not forgiven his brothers right here. Jeremiah, the prophet, later tells the people of Israel that everything will work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to God's purposes. And that is shown in Scripture again and again to be so very true. It's not that God is some like puppet master up in the sky directing everyone's individual words and actions. I don't think that's how God works. At, works. I think this is instead a story about our own responsibility to respond to what God is asking from us. It's a story about how Joseph responds to what God has asked from him. For God's good purposes to come to fruition here, for God's kingdom to be known on earth, we together are called to live in ways that God asks us to live, to love ourselves, to love our neighbors, to love God, to be people who will practice rather radical forms of forgiveness with the hope that in forgiving other people, even when it doesn't feel comfortable, even when it feels a little crazy to do, that we are bringing about God's kingdom in some small way where we are at to be people who are going to turn the other cheek rather than strike back when we're hit. To embody gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and love, even when doing so makes us look tremendously silly and foolish to the world around us. It's like Jesus says, we're not supposed to forgive once or twice or even seven times. You're supposed to forgive seven times 70 times. Um, this morning, actually, I was, on, I was on my computer. One of my friends sent me a little... cartoon of Jesus saying this, you should forgive seven times, 70 times. And the caption of the cartoon said, you should just forgive. It's easier than doing the math. (laughs) I thought, yeah, okay, there we go. (laughs) So like Joseph, or like that man in Minnesota, or the ex-husband in Denmark, or so many other stories of forgiveness that we carry inside ourselves... We are called to believe that love is always going to be stronger than evil or hate or vengeance, and that when we choose to forgive in our own lives, we are extending the kingdom of God just a little bit further here on earth. So I give thanks to God for this story of Jacob and his 12 sons. And I give thanks for the immense family dysfunction, for the moments of comedy for the unexpected twists and turns of this story. But most of all in this story of Joseph, I give thanks for the fact that he chooses to forgive, that in the face of overwhelming loss and personal hurt, that he chooses an act that brings about God's kingdom in such a radical and important way. And I give thanks for that example for each one of us. So thanks be to God. Amen.